This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Welcome, listeners. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Lauren Taylor. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lauren, and then we're going to just download all kinds of great information about Lauren, about all the things that she's doing in the world. Pretty amazing. So Lauren has been working to end gender-based violence since 1978, when she co-founded Washington, D.C.'s first shelter for abused women, which I'm going to want to know more about. As an empowerment self-defense teacher and founder director of Defend Yourself, she's trained more than 35,000 people in the D.C. area and then across the United States, too. And with that, she's also trained dozens of trainers all around the country and the world. Lauren also co-founded and directed Safe Bars, which teaches active bystander skills to staff of bars, restaurants, breweries, and clubs working to create safe and respectful hospitality spaces, which we're definitely going to be hearing about. And by the way, listeners, all of the things that we talk with Lauren about today, I'm going to link you to them in the description of this podcast episode. So don't worry, you'll be able to find all of this stuff afterwards. Lauren's work has been featured in places like the Washington Post and Self and the Huffington Post and NPR. And her writing has been published also in the Washington Post and Ms. and like so many more things. She's spoken at the National Sexual Assault Conference, the National Center for Victims of Crime Conference, Creating Change, and the Houston Women's Conference, which together she's reached more than 8,000 leaders in this field. So on top of that, she also just co-wrote a book. And the book is with co-author Nadia Telsey, and it's called Get Empowered, A Practical Guide to Thrive, Heal, and Embrace Your Confidence in a Sexist World. And it's going to be released soon, in October of this year, 2023. And anyway, so we're going to get to it. And, you know, Lauren, you live your life doing this stuff, and I'm so happy to have you here as my guest. Thank you for joining me. I'm thrilled to be here. And um, yeah, you, you thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm a little overwhelmed with everything that you said about me. It's like, oh my God, do I ever sleep? <laughs> well, do you? <laughs> I, I think I think I like my sleep. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, it's a lot. And, you know, maybe that's something we can talk about too, is how you balance all of this, because that is a lot. What what I just said was a lot. Um, what, can we start by you kind of, like, that was the formal introduction. Can you tell us mm-hmm. more about, like, who you are, Any anything you want us mm-hmm. to know about, like, how you grew up or, you know, what was influential for you and what was inspirational for you and how did you end up doing all these things that you have done okay so um there's i would say there's two answers to this question one is um i inherited it which is to say both of my parents were activists Mm. um you know, uh, my father, uh, they were both lawyers. My father worked in the civil rights movement and my mother worked in the labor movement. So um, all three of us kids have gone on to do um, progressive things. Mm. And um, so, you know, there's kind of, it was kind of given to me, which is something I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Um, and then the other path is my own experiences in the world. And um, I really have to say that Growing up in D.C., um, you know, growing up in any major city, uh, street harassment started when I was 11. And it really got very worse around the time I was maybe 15 or 16. And to me that, um, you know, street harassment, for me, it it, and this is not just for me, but for me, it it really... um, escalated my fear of rape. Um, it, uh, you know, I was constantly aware of my vulnerability um, and uh, felt under threat. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that I think is a shared experience and that's part of the function of, sex, of street harassment. Uh, and it wasn't until 1980 when I took my first self-defense class that I found any relief from that, any, any freedom from that. Um, I had always believed that if someone tried to attack me, they would automatically sort of by definition be bigger and stronger than me. And there would be nothing I could do. Uh, what I learned in the first class was not only the physical skills, but the liberation of, from fear, um, and, and the knowledge that I did have power. I had power with my voice. I had power with my body, that there were things I could do, not just in terms of being scared of being raped on the streets, which, you know, now we all know is, uh, relatively less common than, um, since most gender-based violence is by somebody that we know. Um, but that was my fear at the time. And I think that's a very common fear. Um, so I, so I found it very transformative and very liberating and um, uh, that's how I ended up, you know, taking the class multiple times and then becoming an assistant and then becoming a teacher and then quitting my day job and, um, you know, on and on. And how did that go? So is that how um, you started, you you took classes, you took more classes, you took more classes, then you started holding the pads or 
doing a bit and were you was right. it more of like an apprenticeship back in the day for yes you? okay yes absolutely it was an apprenticeship and um uh sensei carol middleton also runs a taekwondo school which has a parallel as you're going up the belt structure um you also have a parallel um self-defense training mm. so in those days I took an eight week self-defense class. So it was probably 16 hours or something like that worth or 12 or 16 hours worth of material, but there was nothing more. It wasn't like, Oh, now I'm going to take level two. Um, there wasn't no thing like that. So I took the same class again, but I also signed up for the martial arts school. So I got the, um, so I went into the longer training as well as the apprenticeship style thing that you're talking about. Right. And you got, lots of physical skills too along the way it sounds like yes. yeah yeah cool yeah. and then so before but before you even did that you started this shelter for abused women can you tell us about that i i don't want to interrupt you if there's more to your story but i do i do not want to skim over that cuz i think that is really okay. cool so first of all Yes, I was one of the people who started mm -hmm. the shelter. I don't want to make it sound like I started the shelter. Um, you know, it was the late 70s. People were really just starting to talk about what we then called battering. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, the very first shelters were being established around the United States. I don't know what number the one in D.C. was, but it was one of the very early shelters. And really, totally, it came out of activism. It did not come out of, um, you know, it came out of wanting women to have a place to go. And there was a homeless shelter for women in D.C. at the time. And we know that you know, leaving an abusive relationship is a major cause of homelessness for women. But that shelter didn't have any programming specific to, um, you know, what your needs might be coming out of an abusive relationship. And it did not allow, allow you to bring your children. Ooh. So yeah, you can't really leave if you can't bring your yeah. children, right? That's a no, so, no brainer. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, it was just, I don't even, oh, I remember how it started. I was going to say I didn't remember how it started, but I do remember. So um, various ways I had done a lot of peer counseling, even though like I was only 20 at the time, but I, I had already done a couple of years of peer counseling. Like I had done uh, peer sex ed in my two years of college that I had been in so far. And so I was listening to the radio. I heard a PS, a PSA? Yeah, it was, it was a public service mm -hmm. announcement. Yeah. We, don't have the, we don't have those anymore. <laughs> but it was a PSA saying that there was somebody was starting a hotline for battered women. And I was like, oh, I could do that. You know, I have peer counseling skills. Right. Um, so I joined that group. And then those people who were the, the hotline volunteers are the people who went on to form the shelter. You know, we saw that there was a greater need than just phone counseling. Um, so, you know, we were a raggedy whatever the words are, like a ragtag, a ragtag group of activists, um, many of whom had uh, grown up in a house where violence was used or had personally experienced it in relationships. Um, and we all did everything. You know, we raised the money. We went to the paint store and said, will you give us some paint? We, you know, we pounded the nails. Um, you know, everybody did everything. Um, and then as we grew a little bit, 
then the roles started differentiating and like more people were in client services and more people were on the hotline and more people were in fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we started to have real jobs <laughs> with titles to them. <laughs> right. Which is just, I mean, that's a testament to how people who come together and who want to do something big, you work together, you can actually make stuff happen. Right. That's so right. great. And, you know, but I really want to emphasize that that our motivation was activism. Our motivation was not social services. And if you look at the history of what has been called and was called in those days the battered women's movement, um, it's actually kind of a sad history because um, the feminism got lost and it became really a social service um, systems that really did not empower and do not empower um, the the people who are taking back their lives. And that's a great um, sadness for me that um, not just the DC shelter, but uh, shelters around the country have, you know, have, have fallen into that and some are struggling their ways out of it and more power to them. But um, uh, yeah didn't turn out exactly how we had envisioned. So so that sort of changed over time. And then tell me if this is correct. So you're doing that and then ultimately you're taking a self-defense class and then you're like, oh, well, that's cool. Were they simultaneous? At <laughs> no, the but I had, lef- I had left the shelter. I went on to work for another um, feminist organization that really doesn't exist anymore called the Women's Legal Defense Fund. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did groundbreaking work on lots of issues like employment discrimination, uh, pregnancy discrimination in particular. Um, uh, Anyhow, lots of stuff. And I did their, I did the non-legal stuff. Like I did the outreach and the education and the uh, publicity and all of that kind of stuff. So I had moved on by the time I was taking the self-defense class, but I was still working in, you know, women's rights, feminism, right. broadly described. Right. And they also, they Women's Legal Defense Fund also had a program that helped women, uh, a legal program that helped women get protection orders and things like that. So I was still in the milieu. Right. I can see the connecting thread through all of the things that you do. So mm-hmm. how did it work out? So... What was the process like? You're teaching, you're apprenticing, you're mm-hmm. taking taekwondo, and then what mm-hmm. was that decision like when you decided I'm just gonna I'm gonna just do this? And you started an organization <laughs> called Defend Yourself. Can you talk so, about that? Yeah, so I was teaching, you know, with um, Sensei Carol Middleton's organization on the nights and the weekends. I had a day job. It was not in the women's movement. Um, and I was, I was, it was really time for me to change jobs. And I kept looking at other jobs in the field that I was in and everything, everything I looked at, I found something wrong with it. And I'm like, really, Mm. there can't be that much wrong with all these jobs. Maybe I'm just not supposed to be doing this. Maybe I'm supposed to be doing the thing I'm most passionate about. Oh my God. That means becoming self-employed and not having an income. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, I took a leap and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I took other freelance gigs in the beginning, um, in the first few years of Defend Yourself, uh, to help the transition. But yeah, it really did feel like stepping off a cliff, um, 
but it was it was a risk I was willing to take to do the thing that, you know, that the passion that drives my life right. is sharing these skills and watching people, you know, change their lives. That was going to be my next question. So where does the passion uh, come from? What's your favorite piece of this, this work that you do? I mean, there's so many. Um, I'll give you one that is really in context of what we were talking about, um, which is somebody can walk into an empowerment self-defense class and walk out an hour and a half later or two hours later and their life has changed. And so I call it just add water and stir social justice (laughs) because all those other things I was doing and all those things I had witnessed my parents doing and two other social justice movements take decades Right. Yeah. And I found it. I'd found a thing where you, you know, you share these skills and someone can change their life with it. And, you know, anything from, wow, now I realize I have more choices to uh, I left an abusive marriage or, um, you know, I'm quitting my problematic boss, um, you know, anything on a huge spectrum. Uh, even if somebody just feels a little freer about um, speaking up, it's 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 a kind of it's a kind of transformation. Yeah, it's amazing. And and I was so transformed by it that my driving passion, besides doing everything I can to eradicate gender-based violence, is sharing these skills so that other people can transform their lives, not in the way I transform my life, not in the way I think you should transform your life, but in the way that is for them. Yeah. You know, that makes the most for sense who for they that are, person. Who, for who they yep. are and what their, and what their, what their ouch points are. And um, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about how you do that. I mean, what I mean by that, is I'm not going to ask you like teach us the class, but tell us about defend yourself. Like, how is the organization structured? And and it sounds like you have other people that are teaching with you. So yes. what is the, what does your organization look like? How do you how do you uh, show up in front of so many people? So I do have to say that even though we are uh, 26 years old this year. Um, Happy birthday. We are still, thank you. It was in February. Um, the day I quit my day job uh, was Valentine's Day, February 1997. Um, uh, even though we've been, we're 26 years old, we are still very small and very scrappy, um, which has its pluses and its minuses. Uh, but basically, it's me and um, I work. I would say mostly close to full-time on it. Although, you know, as you mentioned, I also started another organization and I also wrote a book with Nadia and, you know, so, so I'm not always working on it full-time, but it's mostly me full-time and another person part-time kind of running the organization. And then we have at any given moment between eight and 12 uh, uh, trainers. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm who work as they're needed and as they are able. That's 
And um, it's totally awesome because of many reasons, but one is that they have a huge variety of identities, skills, life experiences, um, ways they show up in front of a class. Um, so it, that's both exciting and also it enables us to uh, meet people where they are. How fantastic. Yes. Reach out into the various communities and really bring people right. in and right. yeah, show up in, a, in, in lots of different ways. That sounds fantastic. Tell us about um, this organization, Safe Bars. That sounds really cool. How did you, how did that come to pass? And how's... <laughs> so I was teaching a Defend Yourself class. And I do not remember what the conversation was that we were having, but somebody said that they had heard of this bystander intervention program for bartenders. And to me, it was a total light bulb moment because, you know, I didn't know a lot. I hadn't read the research yet about the relationship between alcohol and sexual assault, but I knew intuitively it was not good, right? Yeah. Well, now I've read all the research. Of course, we know that Alcohol does not cause sexual assault, right? People who are willing to sexual assault someone else are cause sexual assault. Yeah. But there is a relationship between those two things. And, the, you know, and it mostly happens in bars and in frats. And, you know, when someone said bars, alcohol, bystander, I was like, aha, total light bulb moment. Yeah. Like we, we could do that and we could, it just seemed like, oh, it, it seemed like a no brainer. It seemed like we could do that and we could make a huge difference. Yeah. We already, we already knew how to train. We already knew bystander intervention. We already knew curriculum development. The piece we were missing was hospitality. We didn't, we didn't have hospitality trainers. We didn't have people who came from hospitality. I had worked in hospitality three months, one summer in college. Okay. That's not going to get you there. Mm -hmm. We didn't have people who like, you know, knew it in their bones, um, new hospitality culture, new hospitality language, all of that kind of stuff. So that was what we needed. And, you know, following, the very sage motto that came out of the disability justice movement, the disability rights and justice movement of nothing about us without us. So I should not be running an organization that is working in the hospitality space without people, hospitality people. Mm -hmm. So I'm, so we recruited as many hospitality people as we could to be trainers. And I learned a ton about, what is like working in that world. Um, and that's how it started and it kept growing and it grew, it grew fast and it grew big and it grew um, almost immediately. As soon as we started doing it, we got some media coverage and almost immediately people started asking us, will you come to us, you know, train us in Nevada? Will you come train us in Minnesota? Will you come train us in Texas? We were like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Why have some outsider jet in, train a few bars and leave? You know, what you really need is a local training capability who understands the needs of that community um, and that will, that will stay there. Um, and so we started the Train the Trainer program. Nice. Uh, and we, so we started going, you know, because really, I mean, we've been to, you know, it's different in a college town. It's different in a town where most of their income is from tourism. Um, 
you know, every place we go has different sure. needs. That makes total and so sense. You, you, you need to have people who understand the local community. I mean, we, you know, we've even gone to some small towns where like, if you say the name of some guy who's problematic at bars, everybody in the room is like, oh yeah, Henry. Right. Right. So like, that's not, outsiders can't have that kind of knowledge. So we started the train the trainer program um, and we trained about, uh, I don't know, altogether 40, 45 local groups in big cities and smaller places. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them didn't survive um, COVID. A lot of the programs didn't. And a lot of them didn't survive Trump because a lot of the funding came from uh, like two of our programs were based in Planned Parenthoods. A lot of them were based in rape crisis centers, sexual assault agencies. But you know, we did train, I don't know how many are active right now, but it grew and grew and grew to the point where um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have enough time and brain space to devote to the job. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wanted someone from hospitality in the lead. Yeah. So we went through a very thorough um, recruitment and search process last year. We ended up hiring Amy Ward, who actually was an in-house hire. She was one of our brilliant trainers. She's been in hospitality since she was a teenager. Um, and she's just a great leader. And she is taking the program to new heights. And she's based in Baltimore. That's fantastic. And so once again, just for listeners who might be interested, there will be a link in the description of this episode. So just go check it out. That's fantastic. And yeah, I was going to ask you how 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 these two programs survived the pandemic and the Trump era. And so what about Defend Yourself? How's how's that doing? Um we we're doing okay now. We have a lot a fair amount of demand and really since the book is coming out October 3rd, I really feel like we need to ramp up and build capacity to be ready for that. So my whole vision for the book is that well, I have two visions for the book. One is that it'll reach more people than any of us, even all of us together could reach in a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and it, even though it's not the same as having the embodied practice, it still, I believe, can change lives. Um, and, and the other thing that I think will happen that I'm very happy about is I think it will drive interest in empowerment, self-defense. And I'm not going to hoard that interest, right? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spread it. Right. <laughs> and so we're going to have a website and it's going to have, um, uh, a list of people everywhere, hopefully. And then people can find their local people, their local trainers, their local school. And, um, you know, and if people come to us at defend yourself and, um, and they, you know, they should be, in Eugene with Sylvia, we will send them to Eugene. You're in Eugene. I'm in right? Portland. Right thing. Oh, sorry. If, if, <laughs> so, if, sorry. My co-author is in Eugene. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, that's um, why your name sounds so, so familiar. So if someone, <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, she's been around. She, she, yeah, she, um, she co-founded, uh, Brooklyn Women's Martial Arts in the seventies, which then became, uh, Center for Anti-Violence Education, but she's been in Oregon for nice. decades and yeah. decades. Anyhow, so I'll go back to my example. Yeah. 
if if someone comes to me from Portland, Oregon, I'm going to say, oh, you should be you should be with Sylvia. Let me give you her info. Um, so that's my my vision um, of it will it will it will change the lives of people who can never take a class and it will drive interest in what we all do. Love it. And and reading books is very powerful medicine for all of us. And so can you tell us more about this book? What did it come out of? I, I get your motivation. It sounds mm-hmm. fantastic. How did you start mm-hmm. this work with Nadia? Did Were you like hanging out at a National Women's Martial Arts Federation <laughs> camp and you're like, hey, let's write a book or? No, not quite. Close. Not quite. So Nadia taught for 20 years at the University of Oregon in Eugene. And um, during that time, she uh, wrote a a workbook for her students. So it's it's a book slash workbook. Um, So she wrote this book slash workbook for her students. And it was, I don't know how many pages it was. It was was pretty short. And it was, you know, go to the copy shop and get the spiral binding kind of book. And you know, after all this time, it has um, it has uh, gotten out of date. What we know about trauma has changed. What we understand about gender has changed. What we understand about intersectionality of oppressions has changed. So many things have changed. Mm-hmm. So she really wanted it updated. And she asked me, would I update and expand it? And I said, I would love to, but I'm not... I, on the condition that no more kinkos, um, that, you know, give, give, uh, give me permission to try and find us a real publisher. Um, and if not, we would self-publish, which is very honorable, right? Yeah. And it wouldn't be a kinko, it wouldn't be a kinkos kind of self-publishing, yeah. but, you know, but let me, you know, are you okay with me doing this? She said, yes. So somehow miraculously with forces Universal forces that I do not understand. We are with the biggest publisher in the world, um, which uh, is great because it means that they have reach. Is it Penguin? Penguin yeah. Random House, yeah. Wonderful. That's yeah. fantastic. And people can pre-order the book. So there will be a link to pre-order. Tell us about It's about empowerment. It's about self-defense. Is it tactics, skills? Is it prevention? Is it like all of the above? So it is, um, there's, you know, I kind of have three ways of describing the book and I'm definitely going to have to get that down to one sometime soon. But um, Hmm. first of all, it's understanding um, systems of oppression and that, so if if you talk, I mean, it's aimed at women and LGBTQIA plus people. And if you talk to most people in that group, um, you know, and we all have, right? Probably most of your listeners have in your in your classrooms. People say things like, "Oh, I could never say that," or "I don't want to be," or "I don't want right. to be rude," or you know, "What if they call me a bitch?" or you know, or even something much more substantial like, "I don't want to lose my job." Right, which is real, um, uh, yeah. but those hesitations do two two things about them. One is they stop us from living our whole lives. Right, they stop us from being who we are. And um, if you ask somebody about it, like one of our students, 
you know, there will be some self-blame there. Like, why can't I just be more confident? But understanding the systems at work, which is primarily white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism, that those are systems at work. It's not just that you happen to be an unconfident person, but there are systems at work and they impact things like gender socialization, which then impact things like whether you can speak up for yourself. So not only is sexual assault and all the other forms of gender-based violence not your fault, but the fact that you can't speak up as much as you want to is also not your fault. And so, so, so part of the book is understanding the systems and how it's, it's not your mm-hmm. fault. Then, um, mm-hmm. then we move into, uh, kind of more hands-on practical things. There are 106 exercises in the book. Um, and, Ooh, and I love those and I, things. And I really hope that all of the listeners who are teachers and trainers, you take, pick and choose, take those exercises, use them in your classroom. Um, uh, but uh, they, they can help with anything from finding your voice to healing what you've been through. Um, so, so that kind of goes back around to what you're saying is the book does all of those things. Um, uh, you know, it helps you be more confident as the title says, right. Um, heal, um, take up more space and, you know, dive into like, who am I really? And what do I really want? And how can I, how can I make that happen? Um, if I take off some of the burdens that have been laid on me and that I've internalized, you know, it's not like somebody outside is saying, you know, well, somebody outside is saying like, good girls don't make loud noises, for example. Right. But then you get internalized right. and, and inside you're saying I shouldn't make loud noises. Um, right. So that's, that's, I, I hope that was coherent. That's what the book is about. That was coherent. And yes, I'm super excited to read your book. And I had this fun idea. What if once mm-hmm. it's published, you come back on and and share some of the exercises sure. with the listeners? Like pick a few oh, and that's let's great. do them. And, and I want to say two other quick things related. Um, yeah, yeah. One is I want to say something about pre-orders that I did not know before I had to learn everything about publishing a book. Pre-orders are important um, because they affect everything from what what uh, bookstores will carry your book to um, how big the publishing run is, mm-hmm. how big the print run is, to um, what media outlets are going to cover it. So it's not just like, oh, cool, that way I, I order it now, I don't have to think about it later. But it's actually like can affect the trajectory of the book. Excellent. So... The link is there and all of us can be super proactive and helpful in getting this message out by clicking on the link and pre-ordering your book. Thank you. And the other thing that I want to say is when you're saying, you know, do some exercises together, like one of my hopes for the book is that um, people will do it with their friends. Like it'll become a group project. Mm -hmm. Um, not just something I sit in my apartment and, um, you know, which for some, I'm not minimizing that for some people, that's the perfect way to work through a personal growth book and do the exercises. And I also hope people form groups, um, because I think in discussing these things and getting support from one another, 
Um, and we know as empowerment self-defense teachers how crucial social support is in part for healing, right? The research shows how important that is. Yep. So I really hope that people um, form little groups with their friends and um, or even just get one friend and work on it together. So pre-order the book and then set up a book club or a, a group of people right. who want to study this book together and work through the exercises. You know, like you said, it could be just one other person. It could be five. It could be 10. It could be friends. It could be family. It could be neighbors, like coworkers. Right. Just right. just do it. I right. love that. It could be it could be your, you know, your pickleball group or your <laughs> your kickball team. Yeah. I don't care. Love it. So here's the other thing I wanted to ask you as a piggyback on your book. Mm-hmm. Are you wanting to go do a book tour? Because Yes. Yeah. So maybe there are some listeners who know people who know organizations. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. my God, you're brilliant. Yes. And yes. so they can connect directly with you and Absolutely. Yes. Okay, good. If you if you live somewhere, everybody lives somewhere. <laughs> if you live somewhere and um you um you have a connection to your local bookseller. Um, or you could just go into them and say, like, I know this great book coming out. I really think you should invite the author or connect me with them and I will press on them and tell them, get them all excited about it. Absolutely. We would love to do that. Well, and It'll also be- schools, uh, gender studies yes. classes and all. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Professors. Yes. yes, absolutely. Yes, that's all, what we're all the above. Yes, okay, yeah. good, good. All so, of the above. listeners, you've got your you got your stuff to do. You're gonna pre-order the book, <laughs> get a book group, start thinking about who you can line up for Lauren and Nadia to do a book tour. Woohoo! One thing that I love about the whole empowerment self defense community is mm-hmm. how there's really not this sense of you said it yourself like i'm not going to hoard people right it's mm-hmm. like let's get the word out and let's share the resources and let's connect with as many people as we can because it does change lives it's good stuff right. well i have two things to say about that one is um as you said it's our mission right is to reach people so you can't you can't get your ego all trapped up in it right you can't say i'm going to build the biggest self defense empire um no i mean our our mission is to reach people so let's make that happen however right. it needs to happen um and the other thing is all of us who learned it learned it from somebody else like no i mean i may have made up a few exercises you may have made up a few exercises you know you may talk to your students one way i may talk to my students another way but this is collective communal right. material. It's not it's not like I can put a patent on something. So why would I be ungenerous right. with it when somebody was generous enough to share it with me? Exactly. I love it. Yay. Share and share alike. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing all the things that you do and your knowledge (laughs) and the excitement of what's coming our way next in October. And I really appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back once your book is published so we can have some fun doing exercises. Sounds great. Thank you. That's so brilliant. Thank you.
it's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? communicate with me, review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.